lighting really sucks. Okay. Um, just did you stare at yourself? And anyways, that's new. You never get used to that. I'm really short. Um, okay, sorry, awkward stuff to get out of the way. Um, I am an alcoholic and my name is Alex Wheatley. And um, I was separated from alcohol for the first and God willing last time on January 4th of 2013. I was 17 years old in the, in the middle of my senior year in high school. No desire to come to Alcoholics Anonymous. Didn't know, <laughs> didn't know that was gonna be part of the plan. Had I known, I probably would have drank um, a lot more that night. Um, <laughs> Uh, I had no plans, no wishes, no idea what Alcoholics Anonymous was, didn't know that I was an alcoholic suffering from a disease that was going to kill me if I kept going. All I knew is um, by the time January 4th came around, um, I had been waking up every day for about a year drinking against my will, waking up wanting to die and doing things that I didn't know um, other people didn't do too, um, to say the least. And um, and my first sponsor, she pointed out two promises in the very beginning of which I am um, utterly grateful for. And, um, and a reminder that my current sponsor, Maggie Dolan, who knows I'm responsy, I'm current and accountable to her. And she's my person. And I hope that if you don't have your person, AKA sponsor, whatever you want to refer to that as, that you find that. Um, and Maggie, oftentimes when I call her and I'm in a chaos or a ruckus or something that I've created and I'm like, Maggie, and I go on this tangent and she's just like, have you found necessary to drink today? And after seven years, I swear that never gets old because she brings me back to my primary purpose and she brings me back to like the greatest gift I've ever been given here on this earth is that I don't have to drink today. That I've found Alcoholics Anonymous or that Alcoholics Anonymous found me at the exact perfect time that I do relate to it like um, the AAs that stopped in time, that's my truth, that's my story. When I read that, whenever I think about that, I think about how lucky I am. Because by the time I got here, I was 88 pounds soaking wet, my liver was shutting down, I was pooping blood. I didn't think I was gonna make it to 18. My sister didn't want anything to do with me. My dad passed away and that was my trump card. Like, oh, if your dad died, you'd be drinking like this too. That works until somebody says, my dad did die, I don't drink like that. And, um, <laughs> and then you're like, fuck, you get a new excuse. Um, <laughs> You know, and um, and uh, my first sponsor, and they say it, um, and not enough people talk about it. And I don't, and whatever your personal wording of choice is, is none of my business. I just know for me, my very first sponsor opened up this book after she had asked me a couple of important questions. And that was like, are you willing to go to any lengths necessary to stay sober? And I was like, fuck yeah. Like, and then she said to me, do you think you're going to drink again? And that's a question that might be confusing for somebody that isn't done yet. Um, but for a girl like me who was done, who was looking for a solution for a long time, I said, absolutely, I'm going to drink again. I know I will. So tell me what I have to do so I don't. And she said, um, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. The big book holds one promise, and it's that you will be recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, like they talk about in Florida's the first edition, if you do exactly what it says. Are you willing and are you prepared? And it's like 100%, yes, I'll do anything. I'll do whatever you say. And um, and a couple of things had to happen for me to get to that space. Um, but I will say that in order for me to continue to be here, and I often think about that, like what's the difference between me and the other person that just relapsed, you know? And, and my sponsor always says like, you don't know who's in the first 30 days when you go to a meeting, you also don't know who's in their last and it might be you. And, um, and she always likes to give me a lot of warnings because she's been here for 30 years and she picked up one white ship 
not through anything other than a, she was invited to a meeting and she stayed. And she always talks about showing up with like red lipstick and a dress and, um, and like nothing to see here, right? And um, just girl or lady dying of alcoholism at 40 years old and still here. And she's, you know, I'm forever grateful for that. But nonetheless, she always talks to me about, um, she always talks to me about a lot, but she always talks to me about how important my relationship with God is for without that, I have nothing, you know? And, um, and Robert talked about that tonight, that it's all about my relationship with God, myself and another human being in that order. And at first it looks like the other way, but real, you come to realize with a little bit of time under your belt, that it really is the other way around. And, um, you know, um, that promise is a promise that is up to my, it's my responsibility to uphold that promise. And that promise is to continue to be a recovered member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And a vision for you talks about, we cannot transmit something we haven't got. And to my understanding today still, and it's very clear and it's very obvious, and I'm forever grateful for the people that God puts in my life to keep me at bay. And humility is a word often misunderstood, right? We talk about it in 12 and 12, a word often misunderstood, but for those who have made progress, it means, um, and I'm gonna butcher it, but I just read it today to a girl and, it, and it's essentially that I'm right size that I'm not more than, I'm not less than, I'm just right here with you. That I don't think I'm better than, I don't think I'm less than, I don't think, I don't think because I have almost a decade of sobriety that, I, that I'm further away from the first drink. In fact, I feel like I'm closer to the first drink than I, like with the more time I've gotten because I'm further away from the reality in which I experienced that led me to have this experience right now. And, um, and I can tell you that when I got here, the thing that scared me the most, the thing that has kept me and propelled me to be here and to be in this moment is um, the mental blank spot. Robert talked about that briefly. And that's, um, you know, I was listening and it was like, he sat, he, you know, probably sat on dates millions of times, right? Millions of times, probably, and probably a million times he sat there and, and didn't think that he was going to have a glass of wine without any thought or effort on our part, we drink again because we have no defense against the first drink. It's not because we don't want to, it's not because we don't have things on the line, it's because I suffer from a disease that doesn't ask for permission. And that has been the scariest thing that I have ever been made aware of. And that is something that more about alcoholism talks about in length. It's something that I had to experience before I came in here in order for me to know that I, that I have the seat here and I belong here and I'm willing to do anything that is gonna be asked of me to remain here because it's not about the first year for me. And it wasn't about the second, it was about five years when shit hit the fan. And I thought that like, I couldn't survive the, the trials and the low spots that were, that were at bay and currently existing, you know? And, um, and when I got here, I was like this little girl and I've been growing up in Alcoholics Anonymous and there's been a lot of messiness and I love all of it because it makes me more useful. And, um, and when I got here, like I said before, like I was a girl, I didn't know that she was an alcoholic and I'm so grateful that no one said you're too young. No one said you're a woman and I'm a man and I can't talk to you about alcoholism. No one said anything other than, do you know what being an alcoholic is? And if I said no, they were willing to sit down and, and read that to me and explain it to me in length so that I knew what I was up against. And, um, and it's, it's interesting because I come from a family that I never saw my mom or my dad drink. If you meet my mom, if you ever have the, you know, honor me, me to my mom, she, you know, we're Puerto Rican, we were born on an island. I, I never saw my mom drink. My mom is feisty, but she's definitely not an alcoholic for the sink from it. Never got drunk, never did drugs. Like me and my sister went so far as to give her like a brownie with weed in it to like force her into it. Uh, 
and she did not enjoy that experience, let me tell you. Um, she was not into it, and, uh, and she likes to think she's sober, and I love her, and she's my person, I love Maria, and, um, and there's a lot of harm there too, right, because, um, because I'm selfish, and I'm sick, and I'm fearful, and, um, and I, the only person I think about is myself when I'm out there. And I grew up in South Florida and I grew up between South Florida and Puerto Rico. And, um, and you know, my first thing, my first baby, my first love, and it really does come out in general service as I was a cheerleader for nine years, if you couldn't tell. And, um, and I was a flyer and I loved it. Thank you. There you go. Shout out. And uh, it is a sport. And um, <laughs> I will go to that with anybody. Um, because if you can't jump in the air and you can't be thrown in the air and do like backflips and tucks and whatever the fuck we were doing back in the day, um, I don't know what a sport is. Like, I don't think running into people is a sport, but anyways, that's another story. <laughs> another story for another day, um, for another debate. Anyways, we could talk about it later or you could bring it to your sponsor. Anyway, um, so here I am being a cheerleader and I remember like, if I look back, I remember my very first sponsor, she had me write out my life story. Still don't really understand why I was doing it, but it was important because what she was trying to get me to do was identify ways in which I wanted to stop or ways in which my alcoholism was manifesting long before it actually did. And, um, and when I was a cheerleader, let me tell you, I was the best goddamn cheerleader. I won leadership award year after year. I was like the number one girl. My mom was a team mom. We were a team, you know, and and I almost forgot about the word team. It was always about I, right? And, um, and I wanted to be on like the number one squad and I wanted to be the number one girl and I wanted to be, you know, all the things. And I was a straight A student. I was part of peer counseling, all, all about DARE. And, um, and I was the girl that had the clipboard um, in middle school. And I was like, you're skipping class. You know, I was like that girl, right? And, um, and if, you could, if you could have had like a magic ball at that time, you probably would have thought I was gonna run for president or something because there was no way and like I said, like, it's interesting. And the thing I think I'm really passionate about um, general service getting into high schools and middle schools. And that's because I wish that instead of the D.A.R.E. program, Alcoholics Anonymous could have came in and told me about what alcoholism looks like, what it is, and how to identify it. Because I had no idea. All I was given was these goggles that made me, like, it was blurry. And I was like, wow, this is cool, you know? And, um, and the next thing they do is they tell you about all these drugs. And you're like, damn, I want to try each and every single one. <laughs> You know, that's all that really that did for me, you know, and, and then I went on to eighth grade and I remember being like, I'm never going to do like any of the stuff that these people are doing, right? Because I'm like this cookie cutter girl. I come from a family that's all about looking great on the outside and don't worry about what's going on at home. And, um, and I was trying to be perfect and I, I still struggle with a lot of like, I'm not enough. And a lot of that manifests in, um, in the way I, I move through the world, you know, and I do things at like an umpteenth degree, if you know anything about me. And, um, and my therapist was like, you need to cut it back. And I'm like, I don't know how, like, I don't even know what that means. And, um, and I learned just to live with it. And I learned just to allow that to, to manifest in a way that helps others, because I just don't know how to not be like 155% all the time. And, um, and I'm, a, I'm just getting to a place where I'm just okay with that. But nonetheless, um, here I am in eighth grade. And that was the first time that I, um, that I drank and it was Halloween of eighth grade and I'll never forget it. That's why I still hate Halloween. Threw up everywhere. It was awful. And, um, and I'll never forget it. And I remember the next day I, had, I was a cheerleader. So you can imagine that hangover. Um, I was a flyer. I was in the air with a hangover. It wasn't pretty. And, um, and I remember never once thinking like I shouldn't do that again. I remember thinking, what do I have to do in order to 
get access to alcohol. And I, and it wasn't the funny thing about alcoholism is it's not like that's what's going through my brain, but it's already happening. I'm already changing and moving in different ways and trying to hang out with different people and, and changing the outsides of who I am, like all the things, changing my clothes, changing everything on the outside in order to attract the people I need to attract the seniors, um, in order to get access to alcohol because they had the fake IDs. Right. And so here I am in ninth grade. And, um, and if you can take the time to imagine the time that it took between ninth grade to senior year, it was quick for me. It was three years, three to four years between I was knocking on the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous because it was the last house on the block. And within three to four years, however much that time frame goes, and I love the big book because they talk about in women, it manifests a lot quicker. And, um, and I love that they talk about they stopped at time because I didn't need to lose anything. I had nothing to lose um, in order to find you guys, in order to know that I needed you guys because my life depended on it. And I didn't know that my life depended on it. And, um, and so within three to four years, it went, it started on Fridays. I had crave beer. And I could taste it in the back of my mouth. It was like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 9, 9 a.m. second period in uh, my science class. I could just crave Bud Light Lime. Like I could taste it in the back of my throat, you know? And I just knew it was Friday and I knew we were going to go out. I knew we were going to go to the football game and get drunk behind the bleachers. And I was super stoked, you know? And, and I remember the first time I texted a normie that you can imagine her response when she said, I do not experience that. That's very weird. And, um, and those are some, some things that are pivotal when you're drinking because you start realizing, okay, I shouldn't be so honest about the way I feel with alcohol because I don't want to get caught. I don't want people to start questioning the way that I drink and they're going <laughs> to not want to drink with me anymore. And I started to experience a couple consequences, consequences as a result of um, hanging out with older men and being under the influence. And I never once thought I shouldn't be under the influence. I just thought I should be hanging out with these people. So I pivot and I start changing who I need to hang out with in order for things to kind of be justified in my behavior. And, and along the way, um, there's an invisible line that I cross, I can look back and see. And along the way, I remember it going from like having fun and being able to control the amount I was taking to all of a sudden I can't control and enjoy it. If I'm controlling it, I'm not enjoying it. If I'm controlling it, I'm not being authentic. If I'm controlling it, I'm also like, I'm, I'm just like holding on to the deer end. And when I'm enjoying it, I'm like waiting till 12 o'clock when I'm with my like normie friends so that I can go and hang out with like my real friends, you know, and I go home, like I'd pretend they'd drop me off. I'd be like, I'm going to go to sleep now. And then I'd call up my friends. I'd be waiting for them to pick me up and I'd go out till like 6am and God bless Maria because she experienced all of that. And one of the things, if there's any Al-Anon's or parents in the room is that my mom always said I had a place to sleep and she never said like, bye you're gone. Like, fuck you. Like she was always like, you always have a place to sleep and you can always call me. And, um, and so that progressed. And eventually I got to a place where, um, I was no longer browning out. I was blacking out. I was no longer, um, cute anymore. I wasn't being invited to every party every weekend. I had a couple of different boyfriends and that was for a reason. And that was because I had to, because I didn't know which one was going to drop me or find out about who. And, um, I had a bunch of different friends and they weren't like friends that you really wanted to have. Like they were friends, like, you know, sleeping with my boyfriend and me finding out and being like, oh, I can't stop being her friend because who am I going to drink with? I mean, that was my life. It was just chaos, a mess. And, um, and the anxiety I felt and the depression that I encountered as a result of my alcoholism was, was not even the darkest place to be. Like that's what's insane about alcoholism is that the anxiety of waking up every morning and looking at my phone and it's cracked and the million and five text messages of which many of them were like 
I can't believe you did that last night. And at first it was cute, right? And then eventually it becomes like, I can't believe you did last night, that last night, call me ASAP. Like it's embarrassing or whatever it is. Or when you start to get the calls like, well, Alex, if you're with us, we can't get into the party. And, um, and it starts to pivot, it starts to change. And I remember the first time I ever was, someone ever said anything to me about the way I was drinking. And I remember it was my friend, Alex London, and she saved, she eventually saved my life two years from that time. We used to go out, we used to go to college towns and I'd disappear for a week. When I would go there, I'd drop her, she'd be like arrive together and I'd disappear for four days. I'd reemerge after the four days and I'd be like, let's go. And she's like, where were you? And I was like, where were you? You know, and you know, one person was in one house. I was always wherever. And, um, and it was like four days of just like being able to actually drink the way that I wanted to, which was just like insanity. Like no one was looking at me. No one gave a shit about what I was drinking, how much I was drinking, when I was drinking it, everybody was drinking as crazy as I was. And that was like, if I could just drink like this all the time, like I could just breathe. And that's what alcohol did for me was my solution until it wasn't allowed me to be I mean, I, I probably have said it before, but I don't know how much I aligned with like that it made me feel like I was better. I think it just made me feel like I was normal and I was okay and that I could actually operate and move and I didn't have to care about anything other than just like nothing. Like I just didn't have to care. Like it was released from care, boredom and worry, just like Alcoholics Anonymous is for me today. And, um, and it was everything for me. And so when I hear people go back out, I'm like, I get it. Like, it's a solution until it's not. And, um, and it kept me alive long enough for me to find you guys. I often say that too. And, uh, and eventually how dark it is before the dawn, my mom moved me thinking that if she moved me, she would save me. God bless Maria if she could. And, um, and I remember sitting in my history class and I texted my mom and I was like, I was suicidal at this point. And, and I remember like, it was yesterday. I was like, mom, I can't keep going. Like I, I have to kill, like, I, I just can't keep going. I have to kill myself. And that was because like, I had tried everything. Like I had tried everything and it was just so dark. It was so lonely and it was so sad and I had no friends. And I mean, I had no friends that I wanted to be friends with really. And, um, and I was in high school and I remember thinking like, this is supposed to be the best year of my life. And this is the worst year of my life. Like it was awful. I had no, I mean like no one, like the lunch table, like not happening for me. And, um, it was just awful. And, uh, and I got a therapist and bless her heart. Clearly she was um, given to me by God, Miss Teresa, and she saved my life. And uh, Miss Teresa, she was an Al-Anon for like 25 years as a daughter, as a God. And, um, and you know, the thing that she, she did for me was she showed up in my life, she showed up. You know, sometimes that's the most that you could do for someone is just show up. And she didn't talk to me about AA, she didn't talk to me about anything. She just started talking to me about the stuff that I'd experienced when I was growing up. And as a result of all that stuff coming up, I couldn't handle it and I would, I remember just being able to be sober long enough for our sessions when I go home and get wasted because I just couldn't handle what was coming up for me. And, um, and at this time I had gotten everything I'd ever wanted. I got my dream car, my mini Cooper. I'd gotten all this materialistic stuff. My mom finally gave me a credit card and I had like a couple of boyfriends, which were great. Now hold it on. And, um, <laughs> And it was just great. And I used to have a box of beer in my room to stash. I had a box of, um, I had some vodka underneath my bed and I just always had, you know, some other stuff to make sure that I could stay up. Cause by this point I was passing out. And by this point I was waking up, not wanting to drink and drinking anyways. And by this point I was starting to wake up and I was a little shaky in the morning. And, um, and I was definitely blood still because my liver was down to shitter. Um, and I was significantly underweight, but you know, nothing to see here, nothing wrong, all is well. And, um, 
and this is what happened. How did they get here? Um, it's crazy because it's nothing crazy. It's nothing dramatic. It's not like some big crazy thing occurred for me. I never went to jail. I never had a DUI. I, I actually don't think I survived there. Um, but I didn't have any of those experiences. I didn't have like this like dramatic thing that happened to me. It was very simple. I got invited to a New Year's Eve party. And if you're in high school, you know, it's a big deal. And I was finally invited to this party. And I was like, oh my God, finally, my friends are going to be my friends again. Like, I'm going to finally get them back. Like this meant the world to me, like this night. I remember getting cute, getting dressed, taking a couple of things that I wouldn't pass out because by this point, passing out is like a requirement for my drinking. I'm usually, I'm blacking out every night that I'm drinking, but like this night I meant business. I was like, there's no way I'm blacking out. I, like, there's no way I was self-determined, self-will, like, you know, you got it. Like, it was like, I could run a marathon. Like that is how like determined I was like, no blacking out tonight. And so sure. And I even put people in my car. I was like, I got people in my car. I got to be responsible. And so we drive an hour out and we go to this New Year's Eve party and I arrive and immediately it's like a really cool house. There's alcohol everywhere. And I'm a girl without a solution, not knowing that she needs one. And so I sit there and, and of course the first shot goes and it's 10 o'clock and we're like, shot for shot. And I'm like, okay, like just one. Right. So I have one and then I have another one. And then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, no more, no more shots. I just need to have like a cup of vodka with like some soda. In it. <laughs> That's shots. And uh, cause I used to do the tallies. And so anyway, so I have the, the cup of vodka and um, before I know it, it's five o'clock in the morning, I'm waking up out of another blackout baffled by by the entire experience, not knowing how and why, when I don't want to drink, I drink anyways. Why, when I don't want to black out, I'm blacking out. Why, when, why, when I have everything to lose, everything on the line, I drink anyways. I couldn't understand it. I didn't know what was wrong with me. And by this point, my mom had said I was an alcoholic. I'd lost all my friends. You know, my, my one boyfriend was like, don't go to rehab. Like, I'm going to go to rehab. I mean, it was just crazy. And, um, you know, my sister didn't want anything to do with me. She was telling me to go to New York and, um, and I had no relationship with my grandparents who mean the world to me, pretty much um, helped raise me along with my mom. And, uh, and my niece, Chloe, was like, you know, she's like my sister. She really, like, Chloe is my niece and she's my sister. She was born when my dad passed away. And she's like the angel of our family. And, um, and I used to get drunk and hold her and drop her. And she used to have, like, you know, some stuff around that. And um, anyways, and that never really woke me up. But what woke me up was my friend, Alex. I remember going to God and I said, if Alex stops being my friend, like, I know I need help. And so three days later, Alex said to me, I can't do this with you anymore. You know, you're doing this to yourself and you have no idea that you're doing this to yourself. And that was a line that I had heard year after year after year, friend after friend after friend. And so what happened? I didn't know what rehab was. I didn't know alcoholics on exist. I had to put an emphasis on that. I didn't know that me going into rehab was gonna change my entire life, but I had an insurance card and I was scared to go to school on Monday because I knew the gig was up and I had no friends left. And so out of fear of social suicide, I was like, I'm gonna to go to rehab. And, um, and no, one, no one influenced that decision. I think that's really important. No one forced me in here. No one said, you're an alcoholic, you need to go away. My mom just said, okay, pack your bags and I'll drop you off at seven. And she did. And she gave me over to this treatment center. And the only thing that treatment center did for a girl like me was separate me long enough for the first, from the first drinks that I could see, feel, hear, and make a decision. And, um, and while I was in there, it was 26 days. And in, in those 26 days, I was, I mean, I don't know what the future holds for me, but I can tell you that the obsession to drink was loud. And I didn't know that that was a thing until, um, until like hindsight 2020, looking back at that. 
But while I was in there, I remember like for two weeks, just thinking like, oh my God, like, who do I have to blow for like a drink? Like, I just remember <laughs> thinking that. And I remember thinking like, I just have to get out of this van and like run and do that. And I remember also thinking like, but if I go the wrong way, I'm going to end up at like a sex trafficking house. So like, I was also scared and cause they made like a huge emphasis on that. They're like, keep girls like you disappear. And I was like, fuck, you know? <laughs> and, um, and my mom used to visit me on Sundays and there is something profound about sharing a room with someone you don't know when you're, when you've never had to do that in your life. And there's something extremely humiliating and humbling about that experience of which I could only survive 26 days of it. Thank you, God. Um, but while I was in there, I remember this world pacing back and forth while I was coming off of alcohol and I was detoxing. And I remember a lot of the people in there were like, I don't even know why you're in here. And I remember hearing about people getting sober off of things I had never heard of, like heroin, like dope. I mean, like things I had never heard of. Like I was from a cookie cutter town that the max amount was like ecstasy and cocaine, maybe. But we were all just like straight up drinking and doing some pot. I never heard of any of this other stuff. And so I was like, what? You're in here for what? I was like, damn. And, and what I love about it stopped in time is like those vital experiences had to happen for me. So I knew that it could get worse. So I knew it was coming down the line if I continued to stay out there. And while I was in there, they took me to a bunch of meetings. And in those meetings, I heard, saw, felt, experienced Alcoholics Anonymous in its finest form. And, um, and what those people carried is a message of depth and weight. And what I heard and what I experienced was that this thing could definitely work for me if it could work for that girl who was a hooker and who now was like married with kids and like working at like a law firm, like what, you know? And, and it was incredible. And like, what I really heard was where my story stopped and where theirs continued and where my mind was headed if I continued on that path. And, um, and I remember specifically being in a CA meeting and, um, and this lady, and I, I swear people were doing lines in the bathroom, but anyways, um, so we're at this meeting and let me tell you, like when you're on the druggy buggy, it is embarrassing. And when you're 17 years old, you're with all the kids and everyone looks at you guys like, oh, not those kids again. Um, just, just think about that because I was one of those kids and I'm still here. And, um, and as a result of those people looking at me like that, I remember feeling a little weird or really awkward and a little like I don't belong here. Um, but there was a couple of meetings where I didn't feel like that. And that's because those people made emphasis on making sure I felt welcomed. And the one meeting was a CA meeting. And I remember the speaker, and I'll never forget it because I wanted what she had. And she said, I'm a dog walker. I'm three years sober. I'm engaged. I'm in school to be a vet. And what I heard was not necessarily like anything about the steps. What I heard was that as a result of being in these rooms, she had, um, she had a life. And I was like, oh, 10 minutes, shit. Okay. What I heard is that she had a life and I was like, oh my God, a life, you know? And, um, and that was something that I, I didn't know that you could have. And that was something that I certainly had never experienced at this point in time. And the other thing that happened while I was in there was this guy named Ryan. It's always a guy, but Ryan um, saved my life. And for two weeks, like I said, I, I was, uh, the obsession to drink was loud and clear. It was fucking gnarly. And, um, and I couldn't say I was an alcoholic. I was like, I'm an addict. It's really easy for me to understand that. It's not socially acceptable to do drugs, you know, like got it. And um, to do drugs the way I was doing them. Anyways, so um, so I remember one day we were walking back to the house and I look at him and he says, just admit you're an alcoholic, just do it. And just like that, the obsession to drink was lifted and it has yet to return. And, um, and today I know that's like one of those white light experiences or like one of those experiences that happened to far and few of us. I know that Bill experienced that. And, um, and I don't know if that's really what that was. I could just tell you that one day it was loud and the next day it wasn't. And, um, and after that, he said, you have to go to this meeting. It meets, on 10 it meets at 10.13 on Friday nights. You have to go, whatever you do. 
And so um, when I got out of that treatment center, um, my mom picked me up. I thought you had to go to sober living to stay sober. Today, I know that that's absolutely not a requirement to stay here or be here or anything about it. That's like a completely outside entity of which has no purpose in alcohol synonymous. But I thought that that was a requirement because that's what an industry told me. And um, so, and anyways, that's just my story. And so my mom picks me up. I'm like freaking out and I'm, and I'm like, mom, like, I can't believe you didn't set me up for success. Right. And she's like, Alex, like, I don't know. And so I'm like, take me to a meeting. <laughs> and so we go to this meeting, me and my mom, and I'm angry and I'm mad. And I'm just like, take me to a fucking meeting. And so we go to this meeting and it's at the Triangle Club and it met on Wednesday nights at eight o'clock. And my mom looked around the room and she saw much, much of tonight. And she said, oh my God. <laughs> And, um, and at the beginning of it, I think she was like, oh my God, like my 72 year old daughter is about to like go to these meetings by herself. Holy shit. And, um, and by the end of it, I could tell you that she, we got up, we did the Lord's prayer. My mom is deeply religious. And I remember she looked at me she looked at you guys. And I always say to share this is that she, um, she gave me over to Alcoholics Anonymous and she got out of the way and she didn't ask any questions. And she just said, just bring pepper spray wherever you go. <laughs> true story, true story. Maria, she'll tell you, she'll be like, does she have it? <laughs> Anyways, and so, um, and so that's where my journey began. And the next day, I, um, I have a lot of thanks and a lot of gratitude to all the people doing the work behind the scenes, the ones that you will never know about, you'll never see, um, the ones that touch the spirit of the, the language of the heart, the people that are working on the phones, because the next day I was like by myself throwing away all the stuff that my mom didn't get. And uh, I remember thinking like, no, but no. And, and God came through and was like, yeah, but you would. And, um, and I called intergroup. It was after hours and this man answered and he talked to me for over an hour. And I don't know his name. I don't know anything about him. I don't remember the conversation. I just know that he saved my life that night. And uh, two days later, I went to cheer up at 1013. And that meeting taught me about what a home group is, the importance of it, and why it's necessary and a requirement for permanent sobriety. They taught me about camaraderie, joint assist. They taught me about showing up. They taught me about what it means when the book says we were approached by whom the problem had been solved because my sponsor did that. She taught me to make sure that I do that moving forward. And, uh, and she did that for me because I was a girl who didn't know what a sponsor was. I was a girl that didn't know the 12 steps were going to give me freedom. I didn't know that this was for fun and for free. I didn't know about the 12 traditions or about service. I didn't know about anything, but she knew that, right? And the book talks about, we are armed with the facts. It's our responsibility to go find the new person. It's our job to ensure that they know that there is a place here for them and that it's if they want it, right? And we lay those, the, the, the spiritual tools at their feet and it's up to them to pick them up and grab them. That's, that's my responsibility. And so that's how my sponsor got me. And there's a lot more to that story, but nonetheless, um, Sarah texted me the next day and she said, Hey, have you started working the steps yet? Like I said, I don't even know what that is. And I'm like, Nope, no idea what you're talking about. She said, great. Do you want to start? And I'm like, sure. If that means I'm going to stay sober. And so next week, uh, the, the following Thursday, I, I would start meeting with her. And within three, three and a half months, four months, I was done with my steps. She took me through line by line, word by word, paragraph by paragraph. And she taught me how to get sober. And that's what I needed at that time to get sober. And she taught me to, and I remember she said, I don't think you're ready to start sponsoring. And I remember saying, well, but the book says that it's vital to work with others. And that if I don't, I'm going to drink again. And so that's where I found my next sponsor who taught me how to um, stay sober. And that was Jen. And she, she sponsored me for a little while. And she taught me how to take somebody through the book. And I still take people through that way. And, um, and, and it was always authentic and it was always real and it was quick. And that's because I'm a girl that needs a solution yesterday, not, not in five years, not in 10 years. Like I couldn't have stayed here if it had happened any other way for a girl like me. And, um, and I emphasis on that, that every single person in this room tonight is uniquely qualified to take somebody else through the book in a way that I am not. 
And that's why we're all put here, right? And I always try to say it's an army. And with you, we are one more person. Without you, we are one less, but we keep going with or without you. You know, it's just like an army. And, um, and, I, and I think that for me, it makes sense for me in my mind because it reminds me that like, I got to keep going no matter what um, or else we die. But there's a bigger purpose here that I've been given a bigger purpose. And my purpose here is, is to fit myself to be of maximum service to the God and the people about me, whatever that might look like for that day. I don't ever know. I just show up ready, ready to go, guns blazing. And, um, and over the last 10 years, it's been crazy. It's been amazing. It's been fun. It's been holy shit. You know, it's been everything I never thought in a million years that my life could be. And I can say that over the last 10 years, I wouldn't give this up for anything. And I also wouldn't have stayed if it wasn't worth it. And I remember the first four, it was really hard because I used to see my friends at college and like going out and partying and I'd be sitting at a fucking meeting and I'd be like, fuck, you know, and, um, and God knew, I think he knew I was going to experience that. And so he brought young people and alcoholics anonymous in my life. And, um, and I got sober at a time where we were bidding. I didn't know my home group had been bidding. We won in the same year I was getting sober. And, um, and thank God they didn't say you don't have enough time. They just said, um, they said to me, okay, 52. We got three minutes. Okay. Um, they just said to me, um, do you want to, do you want a service commitment? And I was like, yeah. And I became co-service chair and the following year we hosted the conference and, and then I was in. And then my friend introduced me to general service. And the reason why I stayed doing that was because they said people in general service don't drink and there's always a commitment there. And, um, and in that, I found my juice. I found my niche. And I've been doing that for the last like 10 years or nine years, essentially. And in that, I've learned a lot about Alcoholics Anonymous, what it is, how to keep it going, how to make sure the integrity of it remains so that just like the woman who got sober in 89 before I was even born, um, that I could get sober at it. I can get sober or I'm sober now. So hopefully I can um, make sure that it's here for the person being born today or yesterday or 10 years ago or whatever that time frame might look like. But I owe my life to people like you. And I owe my life to the people that ensured that there was a room for me to go to when I got here. And it's my responsibility and my job because no one ever asked me to make sure that it's my job. My sponsor never said, hey, make sure that there's a meeting, that you're showing up at the meeting and you're opening the door. She just said, she just said, I love you. And she just said, the only requirement for me to be in your life is for, is for you to allow me to love you. Just let me love you. And, um, and it was through her love and it was through like her showing up for me in a way that no one ever in my entire life has ever shown up for me. And I remember calling this woman at five years sober and thinking like, I cannot keep going. It's the darkest time in my entire life. And I just was like, I didn't experience that type of pain. I didn't know that like it was possible to be that sober. It could be that much pain, self-inflicted of course. And, um, and general service was there. And that's, I think why it needs so much to me because that, experienced something on a Wednesday by that Saturday I had to be at a founder's day event that I was putting on of course and that Sunday we had um we had our district meeting and I remember like being in so much pain my sponsor walks over and she's like you ready to do that fifth step and it's always been like that's always how it's been with her she's always like do a 10 step at night every night send it over to me every week we go over that of course when I'm being like consistent with it if not we just go over whatever's going on and uh, she's never been like, you're too much, you're, you're, you're too crazy, or you're too, whatever's going on is, is just, I cannot believe you're doing that. You know, she's always just been like, okay. And, um, and she's been the best example of what God has done for me in my life and my entire story. And I love that there's a solution they talk about um, the hundred stories in the back of the book, talk about how, how they got a relationship with God. 
because everything I just talked to you guys about is everything and everything that had to happen in order for me to be here and have a relationship with something greater than myself in order for me to remain an Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, the solution is, is that God is going to save me and God did. And, um, and that my sponsor can't, could not, my mom, the guy, the, the job, all the things, all the stuff, none of that's going to save me. Only God can and will. And there's things, pomp, calamity, worship of other things, ego, pride, that get in the way of my sobriety, I still do. And so I think the thing I, I would say right now, approaching 10, the thing I'm most grateful for is that um, God has put people in my life that have just kept me at bay, that don't allow me to get, my head doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low, it just stays right where it needs to be. Because it, as long as I remain right here, shoulder to shoulder with you, I won't miss the girl or the guy that needs me. I won't miss the primary purpose. I won't miss the entire, like the whole thing. The whole thing is that I haven't found necessary drink today. The whole thing is that it's my responsibility to make sure that you know that back too. And I owe my life to Alcoholics Anonymous, to people that have gotten me sober, that have kept me sober, that will that will eventually and that have, and, um, and I will forever be paying that debt back. And I hope that I never forget I hope I never forget that. I owe my life to you guys. Thanks.